Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. I'm your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, jmintheam.org. And welcome back to another Thursday night of political talk. Had a couple weeks off. I feel refreshed. So I just want you to know, Avrami, I do definitely feel refreshed after, you know, a little uh, R&R down in uh, sunny Florida. And now back to the, the uh, I, I can only say it's just not even snow anymore. It's just like this caked ice type of formations. Unpleasantness. Unpleasantness, exactly. But let's dive right back into politics, if you will. Big week, a lot going on. But I, I want to focus a little bit this week on some things that are going on on a local level. But meaning that they're here in the city and state of New York, but they're really about Israel and Israeli politics and how you feel necessarily uh, about Israel, boycott, divestment, sanctions, APAC, and the like. And uh, so we put together an interesting show for you this week, and we got a, a bunch of different perspectives on what's been going on if you haven't been following it out there up in Albany. So uh, we have a special guest on to kind of set the stage for what's been going on in Albany around uh, Israel, New York State's Israel policy. Casey Seiler, who is the Albany Bureau Chief for the Times Union, and the Times Union is the Albany paper. So he is the Albany Bureau Chief. Casey, welcome to Spin Class. Michael, thanks for having me on. So Casey, uh, you follow you followed Albany for quite some time. You're known as a, a keen observer of the scene. And for what's unusual to me, before I get into the specifics of the legislation that I wanted to talk about, is that a bill that had already been passed by the Senate, or a version of a bill been passed by the Senate, comes to the Assembly. It's sponsored by the Speaker, but it doesn't move forward. Now, that's unusual. I usually think that the leadership, because it holds so much sway in Albany, is able to move the bills that they want uh, accordingly. Well, you're correct, and we're talking about um, the uh, Speaker Sheldon Silver's version of a bill that would prevent uh, state funds from going to any academic organization that uh, that advocates for uh, an academic boycott of, and here's where it gets a little bit weedy, but uh, but I think there's no other way around it, of a uh, a, a nation that hosts a uh, an academic institution that is chartered by uh, the Sunni Board of Regents. So that is, that's the way that, that basically uh, the legislation gets to Israel. There are four countries that fall into that category that carry or that host Sunni chartered institutions, Lebanon, the Czech Republic, Hungary, and Israel. Wow, who would have known uh, it was those four? That's uh, okay. <laughs> Exactly, I know. I mean, Only you know, Lebanon folks, and so Israel, of course, that... share a border. Uh, but, of, of course, when you get to the Czech Republic and Hungary, you're going rather far afield. But... That's that's what they have in common. They all they all host uh, Sunni chartered institutions, and um, uh, and uh, the speaker's bill, like the bill that passed in the Senate, would uh, would void or bar uh, state institutions from supporting organizations like the American Studies Association, which is the organization in question, whose membership voted in December about uh, two to one in favor of the, this academic boycott of Israel um, from, from receiving any, any uh, New York State you know, taxpayer funds. Um, the, the Senate bill, which passed last week by a broad majority, I think there were only four votes against, includes carve-outs that would, uh, that would essentially allow academic organizations uh, to carry out boycotts against you know these these nations. If it uh, concerned uh, a, a labor dispute, if it had to do with an ongoing human rights issue, or if the boycott protested something that was contrary to New York State law, the Speaker's bill does not have any of those carve-outs. And the the other thing that uh, that I believe uh, occurred in the the gap of time between the Senate passage of uh, of Senator Jeff Klein's bill. Uh, and the consideration of the speaker's bill. Senator uh, Jeff, Jeff Klein, the... who is the leader of the Independent Democratic Conference. And the Independent Democratic Conference is a four-member breakaway conference that uh, that controls the Senate along with its Republican members. And so, in other words, Jeff Klein is one of the two co-leaders of the state Senate. But still a Democrat and very powerful. Correct. Okay. Correct on, on both counts. And, and, uh, and, the, and his bill flew through the Senate, right? The... 
what was 56 to 4 or something? I don't Correct. Think, yeah, okay. it, it flew through. There was not a ton of debate. I think there might have been 15 minutes of debate. Gustavo Rivera, who's a mainline Democratic senator, stood up and said, well, he doesn't support ASA's boycott. He, uh, he believes that the bill uh, would violate academic freedom. Now, that, um, that same argument has been made by some uh, very powerful uh, interests who are very close to the Assembly's Democratic majority, I would say the most prominent of them being uh, the New York State United Teachers Union, which filed a memorandum in opposition to the Speaker's bill. And I think that that, uh, that probably carried a lot of weight um, among uh, many of its members. And here just a quote from the NYSET memo of opposition, while the stated justification for this legislation is to protect and preserve academic freedom, it does just the opposite. It violates the principles of academic freedom, the First Amendment protection of speech and protection of association. We therefore request that this measure not be taken up for consideration. So what happened on Monday is that at a meeting of the, um, of the, uh, the Assembly's uh, Higher Education Committee, the, the bill was pulled from consideration. Now, that doesn't mean it's gone away forever. I would be, in fact, very surprised if it went away forever. And what the speaker's uh, spokesman has said is that they're trying to address the concerns of some members. So I, I am, I'm confident that you'll see this bill back um, with, with perhaps changes in it, perhaps including some of the same uh, carve-outs or exceptions that you saw in, uh, in the Klein bill that passed the Senate. Who didn't do their homework here? I guess that would be the question then. How does this? How did this bill come forward? And all of a sudden, they, did they go overboard? Was, was that the idea? There was some zealotry with regard to being pro-Israel that they put this bill together. Because I guess it's kind of embarrassing. It was expected that this bill was going to move forward. Assembly Speaker Sheldon Silver, obviously a, a uh, Orthodox Jew, a strong supporter of Israel, very well known in the Jewish community, puts puts his name on it, and then they pull it back because they didn't think about it. I, no, I don't think it's a matter of having not thought about it. I think it's, you know, it's, it is the legislative process. We, we, we hear a lot of grief in Albany. Activists frequently give, us a, give uh, folks up here, including lawmakers, a lot of grief for not considering things. But you have to remember, the bill hadn't made it to the floor yet. While, yes, it is surprising that a bill sponsored in quite a high-profile way by the Speaker was pulled it's not it's not uh it it's not completely unheard of i and and the the proper answer to your question is i don't i don't know if it's a matter of not doing any homework or a matter of uh of interest groups including NYSET and a number of other progressive groups uh, perhaps uh, coming rather late to the table with their objections i do not remember hearing NYSET uh speak up uh when the bill came through the senate and perhaps after the Senate passage was so easy, um, it, it kind of brought some of the, uh, some of the advocates uh, uh, awake, as it were. And, uh, but you'll, I'm, I'm confident you'll see, this bill, you'll see this bill back again. Well, I guess that from my perspective, sitting down here in New York City, but I've spent some time in Albany, so I know my way around a little bit, what's surprising is that this became a political football. Right. That that somehow something that would usually would score wide bipartisan support became a political football out there. And you have opponents or supporters of boycott, divestment and sanctions now claiming victory here. Um, I think it's a bit it's a bit too early to tell. And here's another thing you've got to realize. Klein's bill and Silver's bill are not the exact same bill. They are not what we call a same as. In other words, a bill that is the same in the Assembly version as it is in the Senate version. The two bills would have to pass in completely, uh, uh, not contiguous, but perfectly overlapping identical versions before they could even go to uh, Governor Cuomo's desk for a potential signature. So you could have the Senate bill with the carve-outs pass. You could have Silver's bill without the carve-outs pass. And uh, they are both what we call one-house bills. And one-house bills do not make it to the governor's desk, no way, no how. Well, that itself is, I guess, surprising that they they announced the bill together, but yet they didn't go ahead and... Actually, I I would correct you there. They did not. They did not. The bill together, no. Um, Silver announced his bill, um, I believe, after Klein announced the initial version of his bill. Klein and Assemblyman Dove... Heikend, uh announced their initial version of the bill 
which was much harsher than the version that eventually passed, Klein's initial bill would have denied state funding not to the organization mounting the boycott, but to the school that supported them. So in other words, if SUNY Oneonta or whoever uh, was a supporting school for ASA or whatever group organized a boycott like this, they would stand to risk all state funding if all they did was merely you know, support or had faculty members who supported such an organization. What Klein's bill says now is, hey, it's okay if uh, a SUNY chartered school or any school that receives state funds wants to support an organization like that. You just can't use state funds to do it, which is uh, you know, much more, I don't know if lenient is the right word, but it, um, it, it allows for support of those groups, just not with state funds. The silver bill, uh, which was announced uh, subsequent, uh, just went after, just uh, made, in other words, it was ahead of the Klein bill in targeting the groups, cutting off the funds uh, at the groups, not at the school level. Okay, I want, Casey, I want to bring another voice in here. We are privileged to have on the line Assembly member, Assemblyman David Weprin of Queens, who uh, has been around politics and politicians for, for quite some time, a very well-known political family. Uh, Assemblyman David Weprin, former city councilman, city council finance chair as well. Welcome uh, to SPIN class. Yes, a pleasure to be here. Okay, so just Assemblyman, very quickly, I think the last comment I made to Casey, and perhaps you were you were on uh, at that point, is how did this become a political football? I think the perception out there within the Jewish community, and you're known a very long-time pro-Israel record, strong pro-Israel record, perception out there is that there was some kind of, this was a setback for the for those that are anti the BDS movement. And I know, particularly now in the Middle East, with, with Kerry and... Uh, and the peace process being uh, – he's saying that uh, boycott, divestment, sanctions are, are is going to potentially going to be more devastating for Israel coming forward. That's a very hot-button issue, as I'm sure you're aware. And I think the perception out there in the Jewish community is that this was a victory. The, the assembly not passing this on schedule was a victory for those that support uh, boycotts. And Casey's telling me that's not really the case, but uh, what, what do you say to those that are saying that? Yeah, I don't think so either. I'm actually a, a co-sponsor of all the bills. I, I was a co-sponsor of the original Heiken, uh Klein bill, and I'm a co-sponsor of uh, Speaker Silver's bill as well. And uh, it's mainly, you know, a, a point to uh, to have, bring as much momentum and uh, you know anti-ASA and uh, also um, not only American Studies Association but the Association of Asian American Studies uh, have also been groups that have been involved or any other group. Uh, that wants to, uh, you know, single out uh, Israel, uh, the most, the only democracy in the Middle East, the only one, uh, the only country in that area that actually treats uh, Palestinians uh, with civil rights. So, I mean, it's, uh, you know, we, we of course, appreciate that, but uh, not everybody in the academic world does. You know, I, I think the revisions um, and the backing off of the silver bill temporarily, and I expect it to be brought back uh, shortly, uh, really has more to do with constitutional challenges and and lawsuits and and I think they're trying to uh, provide some language that uh, you know would uh, would water down any potential lawsuits. So I don't think and it's more of a symbolic statement. I mean I don't I don't think anybody ever expected you know that full universities uh, you know would be defunded uh, totally. Um, although you know I certainly would support that if uh, if it meant. Uh, you know, uh, eliminating, uh, you know, these type of uh, anti-Israel boycotts. But I think it was more of a symbolic statement, a statement on behalf of the legislature of the state of New York, which, uh, you know, has real, uh, you know, symbolic, uh, you know, power. Uh, and, um, you know, I think we're just trying to get the bill that we think will survive uh, constitutional challenge uh, or any losses. But what do you say to those assemblymen who look at it and they say the Republican-led or the Republican coalition-led Senate had a bill that that went through, it passed handily, and then the Democrat Assembly couldn't get it couldn't get a bill through. And is that, I read a couple people likening that to the boos at the Democratic National Convention recently, and I know it's a stretch, but, you know, for a united Jerusalem, that there is this feeling that the Democratic Party is not as supportive of, 
of Israel than as uh, as Republicans are. And I know that was charge leveled at you when you ran in a special election for Congress. Well, it was, it was more uh, an anti-Obama statement uh, in, in that sense. It really had nothing to do with... Uh, well, I meant you, know, you we... as a Democrat, not you as a person, Assemblyman. Obviously, I think your record speaks for itself. I, I didn't right. mean to question it. Well, well, on the Democrat-Republican issue, I think it was Senator Klein that really took the leadership in that coalition. I didn't see Senator Skelos, you know, as, as taking the leadership in that. So, uh, you know, I think that kind of eliminates the... And it, and it passed overwhelmingly with, uh, you know, Democratic votes in the Senate. So, you know, which is the... You know the main Democratic uh, conference, so I, I don't think it's a Democrat-Republican uh, issue in the Senate. And you know we, we're 150 members, although we're short nine right now, so we're 141 members. And when you're dealing with a larger body, you know there are more people contacted. And, and I think some of the uh, the legal issues, uh, you know, that were brought out were brought out after the bill passed uh, initially in the Senate uh, to kind of bring different issues uh, to to the table. And I think uh, the bill drafters are. You know, are working uh, behind the scenes to see what language they can have that will not necessarily water down the intent of the bill, but but basically survive a uh, legal challenge. This is Spin Class, and we're talking politics here with Assemblyman David Weprin of Queens, as well as Casey Seiler, the Albany Bureau Chief from the Times Union. And Assemblyman, uh, when do you expect this bill to come back? Is this going to be given a high priority by the leadership? I think it will be. You know, Speaker Silver is, uh, you know, has taken it on, and uh, I don't think Speaker Silver, you know, wants to look like he's backing off from the issue because he, of course, is uh, as strong a supporter as I am uh, when it comes to the state of Israel and, uh, you know, trying to prevent any any form of boycotts uh, of the state of Israel. So I, I think it'll come back. Uh, you know, I, uh, I'd like to see it come back this week, but uh, you know, I don't think uh, there's an immediate rush, and I think uh, it's better to, uh, you know, to Make it uh, less legal, legally challengeable. Uh, you know, if we can, if we can, as I said. But I would support it either way and let the courts decide. But but certainly, I think uh, that's what they're working on right now. As a as a New York City, New York State politician, how do you how do what's the best way for those of the pro-Israel community to really fight this threat of boycott divestment sanctions, which which seems to be growing, although you know, it, it I don't know that this American Studies Association boycott vote itself has really had that much teeth. It seems so somewhat to have backfired. But do, do you see it as a growing threat, and how does how does the community come back and, and fight against it? Yeah, I think a lot of it um, is, is occurring on college campuses uh, throughout the country, and, um, you know, when I was uh, when I was in college, I went to uh, SUNY Albany. Um, you know, we had uh, Hillel. They have Hillel now, uh, but I think um, I think it has to really be uh, the pro-Israel community. I think has to be a little bit more organized, a little bit more uh, PR sensitive, because uh, unfortunately, in some cases, we're actually losing the PR war on uh, college campuses. So I think we have to really make an effort. Uh, maybe through the Hillel system, maybe through other uh, potential organizations to actually uh, fund information, uh, you know, fund seminars, fund uh, outreach on college campuses where you have um, students that are very vulnerable, you know, that are in an academic environment and and, and in number of the professors, uh, you know, are very, uh, you know, left-leaning. And, uh, you know, I think we have to combat it, you know, at the at the college level early on. Uh, Casey, just while I still have the assemblyman on the phone, a quick question: What do you make of the idea that the passing these symbolic bills? I think assemblyman, hopefully I didn't quote you incorrectly, but you you, you basically said that this is a symbolic uh, gesture. On the other hand, the the bill itself has real teeth. Uh, well, w- which one would you? Which one is it? Well, I I. I... I, I think it is largely symbolic. I mean, we've been talking about the way it's tailored to Lebanon, the Czech Republic, Hungary, and Israel. Um, but you also have to remember that the ASA's boycott itself is also symbolic. It's not exactly going to put any kind of a dent in Israel's you know, GDP. Um, and I don't think it's going to have that much of an effect on uh, you know, even the academic life of, of, of Israel. It is, it is symbolic. And it is also seen, and I think the assemblyman might agree with this, it's seen as something of a, a camel's nose under the tent for other um, uh, divestment or boycott actions. Um, and I, I think that's why uh, supporters of Israel are uh, 
falling on it like a, like a ton of bricks. I think uh, an argument can be made that the reaction uh, by supporters of Israel has, in a way, given the boycott uh, more publicity than its backers within ASA could ever have dreamt of. Assemblyman, uh, you, I know you have a couple seconds. You want to respond to that? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I don't know if it's, it's a question of giving. I mean, that's, it's the same argument people could say is uh, by protesting Ahmadinejad uh, coming to the U.N., coming to Colombia, you're giving more publicity to the, uh, you know, to the anti-Israel, uh, anti-Jewish, uh, you know, anti-United States uh, movement. Uh, I don't necessarily believe that. I think you have to really... Uh, you know, fight fire with fire, and I don't think you can just let, you know, things happen and, and keep it quiet so it doesn't get any more publicity. I, you know, I think we, you know, this applies to this issue and the many other issues. I, I think it's important, you know, not to be silent and, uh, you know, to be just as outspoken, uh, you know, as the, the original uh, boycott people. Well, I, but I think the difference there is that Ahmadinejad Assemblyman was very, very well known to, you know, in the international community and to, you know, to just folks before he came to the UN. The American Studies Association and its internal politics and actions were of interest to uh, nobody who wasn't an American Studies professor, I would say. Well, you know, you never know how they're going to advertise it or how it's going to come out. I mean, I I just think you have to, um, you know, speak your conscience, uh, whatever the issue is, and you know, in this case, uh, you know, I feel strongly uh, as a strong supporter of Israel. Again, I you know, constantly reiterate this: the, o- the only true democracy in the Middle East, uh, the only one that treats their um, Palestinian, uh, you know, citizens, uh, Arab citizens, uh, you know, with you know, with with rights that are not, uh, you know, being given in in other Middle Eastern countries. Okay, Assemblyman David Weprin of Queens, uh, thank you very much for joining us here on Spin Class. Hope to have you again in the very near future. Thank you. So, Casey, just one uh, last uh, question for you uh, on this uh, on this topic is: Is this? I, I know I kind of alluded to whether somebody didn't do their homework, but usually these types of bills really are. You don't get much controversy in assembly committees and assembly hearings, and things only move forward without with uh, with blessing and imprimatur of of the leadership. I mean, it's a it's a pretty tightly controlled process. I think that's yeah. a fair oh, absolutely fair to right. say. Yeah, uh, you know, and you alluded to the fact that there's some su- substantive differences between the different versions of the bills out there, which I find very interesting, and I think it, it's it's tough to follow. But you did a, a yeoman's job of explaining that. <laughs> Uh, the, and I don't know that I could even repeat it, but explain to the public, the audience out there, the dynamic of, of having, uh, Assemblyman Heiken putting forward a bill, then you have, uh, you have Senator Klein, he amended the bill, the Speaker puts forward his bill, that needs to be changed, the changes don't get made, and, and the like, and there's just all, what are the politics of it? Who, who's, who is... Who's trying to upstage who in a way here? Well, I think I think you have you have many prominent supporters of Israel within the state legislature who I don't know if they're trying to outdo each other. I think they are definitely trying to, uh, you know, they want to they want to make their support for Israel well known. Now, well, in politics, um, everybody tries been, to upstage each other. Come on. It, it, well, it, it has been amply uh, reported that uh, there is not uh, that no kind of good, warm relationship exists between uh, Senator Jeff Klein, once again, one of the co-leaders of the Senate, and Assembly Speaker uh, Sheldon Silver. Silver is, of course, a, a, you know, a leading progressive voice. Klein has many uh, progressive uh, policy uh, you know, initiatives that, that he champions, but he is somewhat hamstrung and has taken a great deal of criticism for the fact that while he does hold these progressive uh, positions, he has also formed a coalition with Republicans that gives them veto power on legislation that comes before the chamber. Now, uh, the Republicans have, of course, had to give uh, Klein veto power over legislation that comes before that chamber as well. 
but he is seen, Klein is seen by many progressives as, uh, you know, an impediment or a waterer downer of, uh, of things like, uh, you know, last year it was the minimum wage. And, uh, and of course, there was the, uh, the, the governor's women's equality agenda. Now, in, in both instances, Klein could say, uh, honestly, look, I'm, I am getting things done in a coalition with Republicans that could not be accomplished or were not accomplished when Democrats controlled the state Senate in 2009 and 2010. But nevertheless, that criticism continues to be, to be laid against him. Um, you know, Sheldon Silver is seen as as being a much more uh, much more um, what's the word I'm looking for? Much more distinct, I guess you could say, um, uh, progressive leader, uh, un, unhindered as it were by the need to assuage uh, Republicans in his chamber. Uh, in the assembly, Republicans really are uh, are uh, kind of a voice of loyal opposition, but they can't really get anything. Done because of their because of their numbers because the chamber is dominated very much by Democrats especially by downstate Democrats so I think I've wandered completely far afield of your original question but that that's kind of the that's kind of the facts on the ground the the bottom line is so, that so would if I... this bill was gonna if if this bill was gonna proceed more smoothly and because remember we're talking about two bills if Jeff Klein and Sheldon Silver had stood up. And all through this process, been working on the same piece of legislation. It would probably uh, it would be much closer to passage than it is now in both houses. You know, I, I on, guess on that its way to the governor's desk. I guess that would have been a good question for Assemblyman Weprin. Is the new bill going to be the same as? Are they going to pass that uh, that Klein bill that already passed, or is there going to be a competing bill? And I think it's you know one of those uh, vagaries of Albany that you don't have that you have in Washington that you yeah. don't have in Albany is there's no such thing as a conference committee. Right, exactly. And and you must remember that the groups the the groups that are opposed to this these bills on constitutional grounds are opposed to both bills, the Senate bill and the assembly version which will now be you know rewritten. Um and of course if for all I know, um, uh, Sheldon Silver and Jeff Klein are sitting in a room right now trying to figure out some kind of uh, compromise legislation that can that can get this through. I would love to be a, a fly on the wall in that room, but um, well, if, that, that's the kind of thing that needs to happen. If you do hear from that fly, we hope that you will go ahead and dutifully report back to us. Because After reporting it in the Albany Times Union, absolutely. Uh, absolutely, and no question about it. Casey, thank you very much for joining us here on Spin Class, and we appreciate your keen insight with regard to Albany. And uh, this is really, the whole mechanics of this themselves are very fascinating for, for the uninitiated. But uh, I think for our audience, the topic is particularly uh, important. Uh, and the fact that it didn't get done, I think, is troubling for a lot of people out there. Well, uh, you know, I don't think you'll have to wait too long for the next chapter. So Very good. Okay, this is Casey. Thank you for joining us. This is Spin Class. Uh, we are sponsored by Beckerman, Beckerman Communications, BeckermanPR.com. If you want to tell your story, tell it with Beckerman. And... We, I want to welcome our next guest, David Laska, Director of Communications for the New York State Republican Party. And uh, we had invited Chairman Cox on the show. Uh, he was unable to come this week, but he promises to come in the future. But, David, welcome to Spin Class. Thanks for joining us and uh, talking about this issue with us. Good to be with you, Michael. I'm, I'm very happy to be here. Uh, yeah, Chairman Cox, is, like we said, he's on the road. He doesn't have great cell reception, but we will talk to you next week. Well, that, so that we look forward to that. Great. That's you know that's something we will work out. Uh, you know, there are portions of of our great state of New York that are, are still dark zones, particularly along the Northway. I think uh, having traveled, uh, you know, up north of Saratoga all the way to Montreal, you can go quite some time without any cell service. Absolutely, and we'd uh, we'd, we'd we'd hate to be chopping in and out. So uh, we figured better safe than sorry. Understood. So, David, we're talking about this uh, this Israel sanctions bill, uh, I guess the, the anti-Israel, not the anti-Israel, the Israel anti-sanctions bill and that's out there. And uh, Casey Seiler of the Times Union did a great job of explaining the, the different bills that are out there. But I think one, one thing that's come out of this debate is that there, there, there seems to be some daylight within the Democratic Party on on Israel issues occasionally. And I think it's not, from what 
from what has been said out there, and I'm not making any judgments myself. I don't like to make judgments. I'll let my guests do it. Uh, the the uh, also with regard to Bill De Blasio giving a speech to APAC, which uh, all kind, which so many Democrats have kind of asked him to walk back, and how can you associate with APAC? The Nation came out, and a lot of prominent uh, Democratic Jews, or maybe not so prominent in the, but people came back and criticized him for doing that. Uh, what what's going on here from your perspective? From the, perspective of, I, of the Republican I think, Party. I think you hit that right on the nose, Michael. You know, there really is uh, a split in the Democratic Party when it comes to Israel issues. You have your your mainstream Democrats. Uh, uh, Jeff, Senator Jeff Klein is a perfect example who uh, who put his name on, uh, on the bill to uh, divert state funds away from those universities who divest from Israel. And then you, you do have radical elements in the Democratic Party who, who do not see Israel as a force for good, who do not see Israel as as what it is, which is the only real democracy in the Middle East, the only real true ally of the United States of America in the Middle East, uh, and who believe that Israel is, is a force for, for bad and, 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 uh, and, and the main obstacle to peace in the Middle East. We as Republicans disagree with that wholeheartedly. And so you, you see the kind of comments that you, you see from Bill de Blasio when he spoke to AIPAC. You, you see the, the sort of things that we heard from the president uh, back in, in 2011. But at the end of the day, you know, with regards to this bill, this legislation sends a very simple message, and that's that we should never ask taxpayers to support any sort of religious or, or political discrimination uh, when it comes to the state of Israel. And we're on board. Uh, we as a party are, are certainly on board with, uh, with the Klein bill. Uh, I mean, you saw 51 senators in the state Senate vote, vote for the bill. I mean, you can't get 51 senators to agree that the sky is blue. So, you know, this, this really shouldn't be, uh, shouldn't be a controversial bill. It was fascinating listening to, uh, to Casey Seiler, who's a phenomenal reporter, talk about uh, sort of the machinations going on in the legislature. And, and he'd probably know more about the internal operations of the Democratic Assembly Caucus than I. But... Uh, you know, I, I hope his analysis is correct that sooner rather than later we'll uh, we'll see a uh, a compromise bill come out of the uh, the assembly and we'll we'll move forward. What do you, what do you make of the De Blasio situation? And I want to say just with regard to the 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 fact that it was closed to press and he is you know is typical of APAC and they they typically do not have their events. And I know there are a lot of conspiracy theorists out there who who criticize critical of them at that. Uh, but the fact that he goes there, he gives a very strong pro-Israel speech, and I think that that was, that was important. And I think that was great, and I, it's wonderful. And I, I, I would never criticize, I know Bill de Blasio a long time, and he's definitely a, a strong friend of the Jewish community and a strong supporter of Israel. Uh, but then, you, you know, get some criticism, and instead of saying, you know, you, your criticism, it's inappropriate, it's unwarranted, uh, he says, "Well, no, there are times I don't I don't agree with Israel. I I don't agree with APAC on the Iran sanctions. You know, and it almost he's looking to find an issue that he wants to 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 walk it back a little bit. And, and this is New York, right? Imagine imagine if it was someplace else. I mean, this is in New York. He, he's he, he's willing to you know take that take that stand. Yeah, well, you know, Bill De Blasio doesn't. I I, I think it's." Uh... It would be a little naive to think Bill de Blasio doesn't have his head on uh, on national focused on national politics as well as the city politics. And I mean, that may sound a little far fetched. He's only been mayor for for a little over a month, but you know, look, the mayor of New York City is always somebody who's looked at for higher office. And uh, Bill de Blasio has has since he uh, had the Democratic nomination has, has sort of been engaged in a concerted effort to get on Andrew Cuomo's left flank. You saw it on uh, on pre K. Uh, and you're, you're seeing it on taxes, and, and Cuomo's trying to respond. And you can tell the governor doesn't quite know how to react to Bill de Blasio. But when 2016 rolls around, you know, if, if Mrs. Clinton isn't in the race, that, that field is wide open. And Bill de Blasio is somebody who will be talked about as uh, the heir apparent to the Obama coalition. He's, he's, he's a, a guy far, you know, on the far left of uh, politics here in the state of New York. And uh, if he can credibly get to the left of, uh, of Andrew Cuomo, or, or really even, even to the left of Hillary Clinton, he is somebody who can be an eventual presidential candidate. Uh, you know, already the national media is talking about him a lot, which always happens, uh, as I said, in the case of the New York City mayor. So, so I think Bill de Blasio is somebody who's focused not just on the politics of New York City, because, you know, at the end of the day, this is a 6-to-1, 7-to-1 Democratic city uh, in the city of New York. I think he's someone who's focused on on national political trends and, uh, and, 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 and the Obama coalition and how 
he could, if he's so inclined, recreate that uh, later on in his political career. But isn't it difficult to run as a Democrat if you're not pro-Israel, even nationally, uh, particularly? But you're a New York New York politician. Are you, are you trying to say uh, as that the landscape is changing so much that that you have to pander to those who are not pro-Israel? I think I think in the uh, in the left the left wing of the Democratic Party, yes, I, I think that is the case. And I, I think this is the sort of issue where, where somebody like, uh, like a Bill de Blasio or, or, or if it's an Elizabeth Warren or somebody who's running against Hillary Clinton can get, can get to their left. Um, you know, it, it, it was so interesting. You know, people are saying now that, who, well, who could possibly, you know, come out and, and knock off Hillary Clinton in a Democratic primary? There's no one out there who has any business doing it. Well, you know, my response to that has been there really wasn't anybody who had any business beating Hillary Clinton in 2008 either. And you happen to have somebody who, who did just that. And a large part of that was that uh, Barack Obama got to Mrs. Clinton's left on, uh, on the issue of the Iraq war. So we already have some precedent for somebody getting to the, you know, outflanking an establishment candidate using a foreign policy issue that, that plays very well with the uh with with the the left wing of the democratic party so i i I don't think that's really out of the question no very very interesting uh david uh i want to get one last question in with you uh a little bit off topic uh, as far as not strictly on the israel thing donald trump sure okay where where i know i mentioned him a couple weeks ago uh and i had expected by now that he would have uh, gotten tired of his flirtation with running for governor but apparently not is he in it for the long haul well, you know, you'd have to ask him, but it certainly seems from his, uh, you know, for, for, from his actions that he's uh, someone who's interested in, in running for governor seriously, and he's been reaching out to uh, to county chairs, as has been widely reported. He was in Buffalo recently. He'll be uh, in New York City speaking at the New York County Lincoln Day Dinner uh, next Wednesday. Um, and so, look, we've got two great potential candidates for governor, and uh, of course, County Executive Astorino and Mr. Trump, and both of them are reaching out to. Uh, to the county chairs and to the state committee members, and uh, we'll, we'll in all likelihood go to a convention, and out of that convention we'll have our nominee. There's no appetite for a primary. I, I, I think there's no reason to expect there will be a primary, but uh, we will choose our nominee as we do in the convention. That's the, that's the process the party has set up. That's the process the party uses. The candidates have between now and our, our convention, which, uh, which will be sometime probably in, in the middle of May. Um, uh, to, uh, to to make their case to county chairs and to the state committee and, and the executive committee and uh, and the county committee members will uh, will will make that determination at the convention and we'll come out of that as a united party and uh, there 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 shouldn't be a primary either way. Okay, David David Laska, the newly minted are are you? There was a little reshuffling at the. Uh, there, there was a reshuffling. Okay, so I've, uh, I I I I've been here since uh, I've been the communications director for about a year. Okay, so new, I apologize. Exec- no, no problem. We have a great new executive dire- director, Jason Weingartner. Ori Asinto's taken over as finance director. Oliver Tan is our director of coalitions. We've got a great team going into what we think will be a great Republican year in 2014. A big year coming up uh, for the New York State. Uh, GOP, and we'll certainly follow it as we move along. I know that in addition to the statewide races, you got all the congressional, all the Senate, state Senate, all the assembly are up for grabs. So thank you, David, very much for joining us here on Spin Class. My pleasure, Michael. This is Spin Class, and we're talking politics, sponsored by Beckerman Communications, Beckerman Public Relations, Beckerman Public Affairs, and we are on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, jmandtheam.org. I want to welcome back our frequent political commentator and pundit who wrote a fantastic op-ed, I think, this week, uh, former Assemblyman Ryan Carbon of Rockland County. Ryan, are you there? I am here, Michael. How are you? So there's a lot to digest so far we've had with regard to this uh, BDS bill. And I, I, I don't know how else to say it, the an- Israel anti-BDS, anti-sanctions bill. But you wrote an op-ed this week, which I think is very powerful. And uh, I think it's important for the audience to hear it. I know uh, uh, I, I get to hear a lot from you uh, on a frequent basis, but I think it's important for people out there to understand the dynamics. I, and uh, some of our previous guests kind of touched upon it, some of the politics with regard to this this bill. But you're claiming that there's a real division here uh, within the amongst the Democrats, and they don't know kind of it's not just a uh, a ministerial issue here with with different bills and different language. There, on some cases, there's a real divide uh, in the Democratic Party. You say that as a Democrat yourself. 
I, I say that, and 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 the point, Michael, is there is a substantial division of opinion within the Democratic Party on Israel, and that Democrats who care about Israel um, and who care about the Democratic Party don't do anybody a favor by pretending that there isn't. And I think that there has been an unwillingness on the part of a lot of mainstream Democrats to admit that the narrative of greater sympathy for Palestinian aspirations has taken strong hold in the certainly the left of center, but in, in, in much of the mainstream of the Democratic Party as well, um, and that our conversation about Israel and our conversation about what it means to be pro-Israel and our conversation about whether or not there really is broad bipartisan support for Israel needs to be reconsidered because we're operating based on bad information. And this cannot be dismissed as a blip of some technical issue with a bill. You had the full mobilization of a lot of core constituencies of the Democratic Party from, you know, the activists on, you know, the anti-war activists where you've seen this more expected, but from professors, teachers unions, those are core democratic constituencies. And when they are flexing their muscle in a way that's at odds with the pro-Israel agenda, that, that is thought for a great deal, that is cause for a great deal of applause. So and what you're, what you're finding here, go ahead. No, and, and, what the, and, and this has been building over the course of, you know, 20 years or so. Um, and it's really not so much a response, I think, to any specific act of the um, Israeli government. And, and I could, I'm not really talking about the substantive policies in the Middle East that may have gotten us to this point. What I'm talking about is a political reality that you need to deal with, which is where the way to get elected in New York was to be as, um, you know, full-throated in your endorsement of Israel as possible. Um, now you're seeing elected officials receiving pushback for what would you call towing the pro-Israel line. Well, but what about, and, what about and, the and legitimate... That, that's new. What about the legitimate criticism of the bill that it curtailed academic freedom? Well, first of all, that's, that's not true. Um, you know, if you're telling me that the uh, tax dollars of the state of New York must be able to be spent on organizations which are seeking to intellectually, financially, and socially asphyxiate the state of Israel, well, I have a problem with that, because state dollars don't need to be used for that. And if we're having the conversation about why that may or may not be appropriate, then the pro-Israel community has failed to articulate exactly what is so pernicious about these boycotts. And, and perhaps that's the message, uh, Michael, that hasn't been conveyed, is what is the big deal why do you care so much? Well, we care so much because we have seen this movie before, because Israel, one element of Israel's policy in an otherwise compassionate state is being singled out to turn the country into an international pariah. And if you were a student of Jewish history, you know what that can mean. That is dangerous. And yes, there's academic freedom, but these boycotts are a clear and present danger to our state. So we need to talk about how real these boycotts are as, as Jews and as supporters of Israel for people who care about that. But if you're a political leader, you also need to recognize that if you're a Democrat, there's a significant portion of your constituency at present, which is very uncomfortable with the pro-Israel political agenda. Well, let's just... Talk for a second. We've had quite a bit of analysis so far in in this, and some have said that this is a product of a rivalry between Sheldon Silver and Jeff Klein. Some have said this is part of a rivalry between Democrats who are on looking for a left uh, a left way, left flank for in in their certain in their political maneuverings. That it's not really, and and then we had Assemblyman uh, Weprin who talked about it earlier. Is really this is more symbolic than it is real, and you know the fact that this stalled is really uh, it's not such a big deal, and it'll be resubmitted very quickly. Yeah, can I tell you something? The mistake that has been made for all these years, Michael, is is, is explaining it away with technical explanations because it's more comfortable to do so. Um, but the reality is that Democratic Assembly members 
in the city of New York were getting phone calls organized by active progressive groups in their district asking them to vote against the bill. It didn't just get yanked out of nowhere. There were phone campaigns going on. You can go all over Twitter and see the huge pushback that was going on against this bill, pressure from faculty unions across the state. And that was registering with assembly members. It made them uncomfortable. There was now going to be political risk associated with this bill, and that was coming out of districts which more and more heavily progressive. So that's a political fact. And so if the pro-Israel community can't get our state representatives in New York to go and push back as hard as possible on this, well, who do you expect to do it? If, yeah, if I guess the I... answer is academic freedom, and, and, and if, if you support the bill and, and you look at what the speaker said and what Jeff Klein said and others said when they were pushing the bill that they weren't going to allow Israel's enemies to get a toehold in New York, and if the bill is symbolic, well, then that's even worse. I, I can't uh, disagree with you on that one. Uh, what do you make, then, of the criticism coming with regard... And, oh, and just one thing, Michael, I think that nonsense that it's some kind of personal rivalry about Sheldon Silver or Jeff Klein, that, 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 that's just nonsense. That, 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 you're talking about, you know, serious people. They're not, they're not playing at that level with something as important as this. But why, um, didn't they, why didn't they move forward with the same bill? Why didn't they announce it together? Why wasn't it done in a joint way? Therefore, they wouldn't have had, wouldn't have had these issues. Even if it passes the Assembly now, it might not be the same as, uh, same as bill, that it might have to then go back to the Senate. I mean, it just seems... Ins- that, 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 that's inside baseball. What we learned from the episode is that activist groups within my party are parting company with the pro-Israel agenda in more marked ways, or with the conventional pro-Israel agenda. There's an alternative Israel agenda out there on the left, which is growing support. And, and, and the, the point is, is that for people who are in the Democratic Party need to wake up and realize what's going on. You know, you had the 2012 Democratic Convention, Michael, when they took out the Jerusalem should be the capital of Israel language. And you know what? It's a fair question for people to debate whether that should have been in there or not. But once there was this uproar of Jewish community leaders about taking out the Jerusalem plank, they had a floor vote at the convention to put it back in. And anybody who was at the convention knows that the pro-Israel forces did not win that vote. But it was declared carried, and we moved along. And nobody responded to that. Nobody said, oh, my God, Jerusalem just lost the vote at the Democratic Convention. Well, it's I, another, I, I, it's another I, data point. I hope so that, what, I hope what that you're wrong on this. Is, is, is that we are getting closer to the point of where you will have progressive groups in Democratic primaries with an strongly pushing an alternative agenda that you will have take hold of the constituency of the Democratic Party and apparently a, a, a growing one, you know, this divide of opinion where Israel is become, becomes an ideological issue. I think there are reasons we've gotten to this point. I think some of it is still a reaction to, you know, the kind of evangelical Bush embrace of Israel, and, and that I think had a backlash with the secular left in the Jewish community. Um, so I think some of that politics is playing out. But regardless of what the reasons are, um, Israel is having a problem in communicating its message a portion of the Democratic Party. Uh, the Democratic Party itself is turning into a little bit more of a house divided on issues related to the Middle East, um, and that's dangerous for the Democratic Party, I believe. I believe it's dangerous for supporters of Israel. And to let something like this pass unremarked upon is to allow the problem to fester. And I think it's an issue. This is how things rear their heads in obscure committee votes, in you know state political party platform planks, Something like this boycott, this is how it takes hold. It's grassroots organization by organization, little group by little group, and that's how you have to respond to it. Um, but there's a problem. There's a problem in the political left, and we and folks in the Jewish community, the pro-Israel community, and the Democratic Party need to begin to address it because it is going to um, have implications over the coming few years for what Democrats in Congress uh, talk about or how the 2016 candidates position themselves on foreign policy. And even if um, these negotiations are somehow going to make some substantial progress there in the Middle East, 
a lot of the hard work would get done under the next administration anyway. Okay, so we're going to have to leave it really there. setting a stage for lots of things. We're going to leave it there. Assem- former Assemblyman Ryan Carbon of Rockland County, a frequent uh, commentator on our show. Welcome back to Spin Class, and thanks for joining us again. We'll have you again soon. And I want to welcome Zach Fink uh, of New York One News, Time Warner, Cable News, YNN, all those networks, uh, who's a blogger for the ubiquitous State of Politics, excellent blog covering politics here in the state of New York. Zach, welcome to Spin Class. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. So you wrote a very intriguing blog post, and I'm sure that uh, it was it was widely discussed around the political water coolers. Uh, it kind of implied that there are no friendships, really, no real friendships in politics. Yeah, there are politicians. They, you know, some might like each other, some may not like each other. But when push comes to shove, they'll all throw each other under the bus. That's at least my impression. That might not be exactly what you meant, but uh, but. Talk for a second about the world of politics, because it is considered extremely cutthroat, competitive, difficult, and how whether a lot of people out there in our political firmament actually do like each other, they don't like each other. You know, what prompted you to write that? You know, my, my sense is that they do and that people have friendships that rise and fall based on expediency and need. And I think there are moments of, of, of genuine closeness among these group of people who understand each other very well and they're all looking for the same goals. But I, I think the point is, is that when it really comes down to it, and really you set it up very well, I think, in the introduction, that at the end of the day, when it comes to their own political survival, there really are no friends. This is not about nobody's going to go down with anybody else's ship. That's just, that, that, that just doesn't happen. You know, that the people do what they do, what they can to distance themselves from people when it's, in their best interest to do so, no matter how close the friendship is. Um, you know, really, people's reputations rise and fall based on their own actions, and they don't necessarily want to be seen anywhere near someone, um, you know, who may be in trouble. I mean, the perfect example, I guess, that everybody's talking about lately would be the two governors. You know, Governor Christie, who, who has had a tremendous fall from where he was just, you know, a few months before this Bridgegate scandal. He's had a tough month. And yeah, and, and, and Governor Cuomo, you know, has, has been very, you know, has been, has not been out there at all. He's been very careful about what he said. He's given one word answers to questions about what people in his administration knew and when they knew it about this. You know, he doesn't want to seem like he's, he's dancing on his grave. And I, and I understand that. Uh, but at the end of the day, he's not out there defending him either. And, but of course, I know. That, that makes it interesting because they are political rivals, right? You have a yeah, poli- they have political Democratic rivals governor, different, Republican different. governor. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I was just saying, yeah, I, I, they're political rivals in the sense they're different parties, but, but my understanding is that, is that they're, they actually have a very good working relationship, that they actually speak to each other frequently, that they, they, they get along quite well and, and really take their cues from one another. And, and, you know, Christie was there in office first, and Cuomo has actually adopted some of the things he's done policy-wise in New Jersey. Right, and on the face of it, then, you have... Governor Cuomo and Mayor de Blasio and everybody's well, they work together at HUD, right? They were together. They must, they're, they're both, uh, uh, of the Clinton political family. So therefore they must be friends. And a lot of people then say, really, uh, they're at the first opportunity, they would stab each other in the back. And I think we're seeing a little bit of that now. I mean, I think, you know, there's no question they've known each other a long time. There's no question you're right that they're from that sort of same school of politics, which is that Clinton-centrist Democratic, uh, you know, way of doing things. They were all part of the same organization. On the other hand, you know, I mean, I have heard just from, from people who, who know the both of them, they don't talk that much at all, that while there, there's a big public persona that they, they know each other and that they're friendly, that friendly means... You know, they go back a long way. There, there really isn't a personal rapport there in the same way, even if there is with the governor and Christie, for example, who, who all do apparently talk and have back-channel communication. Um, and then de Blasio is in this position where he's really challenged the governor in a very public fashion over this tax on the wealthy to pay for prepaying. The governor, you know, came back with him, and I, I've heard from people who've met with the governor. They said the governor's, governor's not thrilled about this at all. In fact, he doesn't like being put in this position, you know, in, in the least. So one other example you cited was Christie's willingness to throw David Wildstein to the wolves uh, and, and basically distance himself entirely, and even sending his office, sending out an email uh, saying, well, not only are we not friends, but this guy is totally terrible, and uh, you know these are all the things he's done since, since birth. 
You know, he didn't, he didn't, uh, you know, he cheated on, uh, you, you know, his building blocks in, you know, in, in preschool or something like that. Uh, I mean, it, it, this might be the worst person, which quite begs the question. And Christie was, has always been known for inspiring a lot of loyalty, having a very tight knit political, uh, organization and family. And they've, and yet is, is this something now that will reverberate throughout those that are, that are loyal to Christie? You know, kind of say, oh, wow, look, if he can do this to David Wildstein, he can do this to anybody. Yeah, I think people did, and I think people took pause at that. I mean, I think everybody saw the, the venom with which he went after David Wildstein, you know, a guy who he's literally known since high school. And the message has been very Well, maybe, you know? maybe. He may have known him since high school. It's it's not he, – he kind of said, I didn't really know him in high school, right? Well, that's the thing. We, I mean, we, we, we do know they went to high school at Livingston together. We do know they were a year apart. Do know for a fact that Christie was on the baseball team and David Wildstein was the statistician for that baseball team. So at the very least, they knew each other. They may not have been friends, but it was just curious that Christie basically at that press conference distanced himself in the way that he did, basically saying David Wildstein was was some kind of nerd in high school and he was busy. I don't know what he was doing, and I was busy being class president and being you know the baseball captain. Um, that was deeply personal, you know. If there's anything that that hurts anybody at all, it's 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 drawing them back to high school and reminding them that they might not have been as cool as you in high school. So it, it's it's very curious the way the way that that all shook out because then David Wildstein, of course, went and got an attorney who is not you know associated with Christie at all. Whereas Bridget Kelly, for example, retained you know she's the one who wrote that infamous email. Bridget Kelly has retained an attorney who is what has been described to me as on the reservation, a guy who's close with Christie, and she's, of course, refused to comply with the subpoenas. David Wildstein, perhaps personally offended, hurt, because I think there might have been what he thought was a genuine friendship there, you know, that Christie Christie distanced himself in the manner in which he did that was so personal and perhaps hurtful. So I, I know you don't cover Jersey specifically. I think that I read recently that Bridget Kelly actually changed her attorney. And, uh, yeah, and, oh, yeah, yes. and she, she she went more towards Christie. Yes, I, I did actually cover Jersey for 13 years. Oh, you did? Okay. I, oh, I did. great. Yeah, yes, so. I, I, know, I know these people all very well, and I, you know, it's you know, it's a little premature to say what's going to happen, of course. But but Bridget is is definitely someone who who looks like she's not going to do what David is doing. She's, she's staying on the thing. reservation, if you will. Uh, yeah. Well, then let's let's talk for a second, since uh, since Jersey is is so fascinating. Uh, where, what now happens to to others and within the Chris Christie shop? I mean, do they now? Does everybody kind of say, "Okay, I got to save myself"? And uh, yeah, it, okay. it's a very interesting question, you know. And, and I think we're going to start to see the sort of you know where, where do the rats run as the ship starts to sink? You know, uh, Bridget Kelly appears as though she is going to stay close to home. You know, she's got four kids, and she's a big believer in the Governor Bill Stepien. Same way. Uh, Christina Genovese, Frenna, who resigned on Friday, you know, I don't know what Christina's going to do. It's interesting that she resigned. You know, that, that's, that's, that's telling. Um, she got off. You know, she, she got out of the administration. Um, we know that David Wildstein's gunning for him. I mean, he has something like 17 subpoenas. So, you know, something somewhere is going to come out that is damaging. I, I don't know that anybody has the smoking gun winking Christie to this directly, whether his name is on any of these text messages or emails, but that's not good when you start to, you've got all these people being asked to provide documents, and some of them may be on your side and some of them may not be. So, Zach, th- your, your piece got me thinking, just the difference I saw in the reactions of members of Congress to two scandals that happened in, here in New York, and I'm not equating this, the substance of the scandals because they're they're both different. But you had Anthony Weiner, who was basically thrown drummed out of office for something that was not illegal but stupid, and you had yes. Charlie Rangel, who did things that were probably possibly illegal, but you know, but and yet Rangel survives because he had tons of friends, and Weiner had none, and he was basically drummed out. And, uh, you know, what, how did, how did, what's the difference there? How do you build those friendships if, if there yeah. are really no friendships out there? I, it's a pretty, that's a, those are two really good examples of, of how differently, you know, those scandals, the fallout from those scandals was. Um, you know, in, in the case of Anthony Weiner, he, you know, the, the, he, no one liked the guy. No one came out to defend him. Um, 
you know, and, and granted, a lot of, you know, him, him coming off and lying in the way that he did certainly didn't help him or ingratiate himself and goes back to the earlier point we were, we were making just about how when someone gets in trouble, people want to stay away from them. But, you know, Charlie Rangel's been good to people over the years. They like him. You know, you, you even look at something like Sheldon Silver, who was under fire last year. And, you know, I, you know, I know I cover the, I cover the legislature in Albany. It was hard to find people to say something negative about Sheldon Silver. I mean, he's made a lot of friends over the years. You know, he's well liked by the people well, who are loyal to him. He, he's done a, he's accomplished a lot of great things. And I have to say, I certainly don't agree with him all the time politically, but there's no question. It's a strong record of accomplishment on a lot of issues that are important to people. So Zach, we're going to have to leave it there. Unfortunately, out of time, we could talk really all night about uh, this specific topic. But I want to ha- reserve the right to have you again in the future. Would be happy to do it. Thanks so much, Carmen. Thank you very much. That is Zach Fink from the New York State of Politics blog. And we are out of time here on Spin Class, another Thursday night in the books. Don't forget, we are sponsored by Beckerman, Beckerman Public Affairs, Beckerman Public Relations. And we have had a great show, NachumSiegel.com, org, and hit it with the music.